Hello, everyone. Um, so this is the first of several lunchtime readings that I've challenged myself to present in relation to the exhibition In Relation, performance works by Peter Roche and Linda Bose, uh, 1979 to 1985. Because the exhibition entirely consists of documentation of live performances, I thought it would be nice to bring my voice, a live presentation, into the room with the pictures and the texts that we've brought together for this exhibition. I'm going to do six readings over the duration of the show. This is the first, and I'll do it every Tuesday fortnight from here to the end of the exhibition. And I'm going to be reading the words of either Peter Roche and Linda Bose or the words of Winston Kernow, who was their most assiduous audience member, who came to something like 13 of their performances and would go home afterwards and write up notes. The artists themselves also wrote notes and sometimes these were exchanged. So there was a dialogue that was undertaken after a performance that enabled them to think through what had happened and to use that thoughtful process to inform what might happen next. Each of the works actually follows on from another and there is a great sense of continuity uh, and a coherence to the body of work that we've captured here. They only worked together for five years, and what we're seeing is a very intensive period of interaction and very much a playing out of this concept of in relation. I'm sitting here today for the first reading because it relates to the body of work that is in the window here, both in the vitrines and on the two monitors. It's a performance work called Oshitno on the Contrary, and it was presented on two occasions, on the 14th of October and the 27th of October, in two different venues in Auckland. I'm going to be reading two essays, uh, both by Peter Roche. At this stage, he was operating as a sole performer, but this is the first performance where Linda, his relatively new partner, played an active role. The first piece was written in advance of the first performance, and the second piece was written after the first performance, but before the second one. Remember that at this stage, Peter was a very recent graduate from Elam, his writing here reads a little bit like a student essay. It's not a beautiful text, but it is one that covers many of the ideas that he's exploring and is a very honest reflection on what he's trying to achieve. So I'll start now. Polarity. The following essay is a summary of the ideas surrounding two works, Offense, Defense, and Oh Shit No, on the contrary. Firstly, let's consider the idea of vulnerability, either in front of oneself or in front of another party, an audience, for instance. 
Taking the first example, a person might be completely enclosed within his or her own situation, in which case I refer to a situation which does not need influence from outside of itself for its being. And a person's vulnerability in this case will change according to the amount of control required to maintain the situation and his capability of functioning under such circumstances. The person or performer in such cases always has the knowledge that the exercise can be stopped at any time without necessarily a loss of face. In other words, the person is not trapped within the situation for the continuation of the situation necessitates a cooperation between person and situation. I might add that the word exercise fits this kind of vulnerability well. The film I made last week would fit into this category. Indeed, I was in a vulnerable position, and yet it was a simple matter of maintaining control to forbid access to my vulnerability. But look what happened towards the end of the exercise. I fainted. In other words, my method of control was suddenly intruded upon and a situation presented itself where my superficial form of control was no longer of any use. Of course, I edit this little bit out, but I must be true to myself and realize that this is real vulnerability. In front of another party, I would have no option there could be no editing. Too often, I think, I have been employing a very lazy form of control, and one which is not completely in tune with a situation which might change at any time. I feel that to truly place myself in a vulnerable position, I must be prepared to allow that any form of control or resistance might be called upon at any time to really put myself on the spot. The effort then will be to strike a balance, neither to dominate nor to serve. This is a truly live and vital situation that I'm talking about. When placed in a performance context, a situation is made evident, and the performer's role is to attempt to resolve the situation in some way. This will become clearer later on when I enlarge upon this in respect to the planned work of Shitno, on the contrary. Once a balance is reached, the performance has been resolved. Neither the performer nor his audience is in a position where a loss of face is felt. Okay, from now on, I'm going to be talking more and more specifically about the work of Shitno, on the contrary. But the bulk of the ideas thrown forth are easily relatable to most of the exercises I have recently undertaken, especially get the fuck out, got to get out which was performed last month, and the film Offense-Defense, which is currently being processed. I might also add that the following was compiled over about a week or two, and alterations to proposals are evident. So at this point, I'm thinking about a row of photographs, images that are specifically focused on my face, that are larger than life, that have a real presence to them, by this I mean that each individual photograph is of a particular type. Each will show what I might call a psychological mutilation. Now, I'd better explain this term in more detail to avoid confusion. 
By images of psychological mutilation, I refer to images of oneself that one would usually prefer were not revealed or acknowledged publicly. One might feel embarrassed about a particular feeling or emotion one has, and will more often than not take measures either through posture or facial expression to conceal such feelings. Put crudely, examples of such feelings might be greed, anger, jealousy, tenderness, and so on. More often than not, one might often feel that these mutilations have been imposed upon oneself by situations outside one's control. They are things that demand an object, whether the object is someone else or, or oneself. So I've come up with eight black and white photographs, and the way I came up with them was by getting Linda who will be an active performer in the piece, Oh Shit No, On The Contrary, to snatch images from situations she, that she herself imposed upon me. A tricky business. So here I have these images of myself which I must defend. Now at the end of this row of photographs, I'm going to have what can easily be termed images of physical mutilation, namely an eight millimeter film loop of Linda's face being repeatedly slapped by me, but not necessarily apparent in the film. The film, of course, will be in color to enhance the physicality of the situation. It's the kind of mutilation which is obviously not self-imposed, carrying overtones of cruelty and sadism. So already I have devised a situation where an obvious division has been made between myself put in the role of justifying my existence on the side of the psychological vulnerability and perversity and an audience who will identify strongly with the images of physical mutilation, an audience who therefore will also identify strongly with the fear that perhaps they are in some way being manipulated. And I find that quite, and I find that quite interesting because an audience is usually very much psychologically active, I mean an, an art audience, and physically passive. Now, although I still anticipate that they will remain physically passive, they will strongly identify with the physicality of the piece. In a sense, they are the ones who are being slapped in the face. As I mentioned before, Linda will be an active performer in the piece and in a sense will take the side of the audience and will be responsible for either condoning or condemning my attempts at self-justification. The situation therefore is of two polarities and the intention is to strike a balance and form some kind of mutual respect to reach an agreement. And now we've set up the distinction between the psychological and the physical, I can begin to converse perhaps using a microphone at times and perhaps at other times speaking directly to the audience without the use of a microphone, perhaps speaking English or perhaps a foreign language altogether, perhaps just a barrage of verbal sounds and moans. I'll now include something I wrote the night after I made the film in which Linda's face is repeatedly being slapped. Right, last night, I shot the film of myself slapping Linda's face. Believe it or not, this was a considerable shock to the system. Somehow or other, 
I neglected to anticipate the emotional intensity that this act would generate. This may seem strange considering some of the performances I've been involved in where I have inflicted pain upon myself. Nevertheless, I have never consciously inflicted pain on another. And yet I've had others, through my own wishes, inflict pain upon me. But it was not until I actually sat down in front of Linda and attempted to hit her that I realized what essentially this act was all about. If the rest of the performance is as emotively powered as this part was to construct it, it will indeed be an intense situation for myself, for Linda, and for the audience. This must be considered and worked with carefully. I have a responsibility to myself, to Linda, and to my audience. I have professed to know this for some time. Now I feel it. It's a potentially dangerous situation I'm dealing with. And now back to the film itself. The situation was like this. Before activating the camera eye, I had slapped Linda's face on one side, the right-hand side, several times. Not excessively violently, but steadily. Steady, consistent slaps. Of course, you can imagine the effect this would have on the facial tissue, let alone the emotional tissues. The camera was turned on and I resumed the activity for perhaps about one and a half to two minutes. I'm not sure exactly. Anticipation of the next slap, a situation which she knew she had to be, she had to endure, and yet the temptation to pull away, to walk away, to hit back, was always present. A real physical mutilation, and one which was unfairly one-sided. I was hitting her. Her only defense was to endure more until I decided to stop. But I'm not saying it was easy for me to continue. On the contrary. But as far as the film goes, and the object of the exercise was to make a film, the idea was to present a dictatorial situation, where one is imposing upon another. No two ways about it. The object was to present a situation which did not change. And therefore, I would stop only when I had decided that any continuation would result in change and variation within the situation, being mainly changes in emotion, tactics, and rhythm, on both the part of myself and Linda. This tape is now going to be made into a loop, so what is presented is essentially an ongoing situation without change. I'm now going to introduce an excerpt from Gestalt Therapy Verbatim by Fritz Perls. I find particularly relevant to the way I'm approaching the structure of the piece, oh shit no, on the contrary, open quotation marks. I mean I have a dialogue between the two opposing parts and you will find, especially if you get the correct opposites, that they always start out fighting each other, all the different parts. You have the eternal conflict game, the self-torture game. As the process of encounter goes on, there is a mutual learning until we come to an understanding and an appreciation of the differences until we come to a oneness and an integration of the two opposing forces." Close quotes. Now, treating the above as a technique, it should be obviously comparable to the structural techniques I am employing, 
you know, the bit about forming a distinction between the physical and the psychological, dividing the situation into two opposing camps and attempting to strike a balance and reach some kind of mutual agreement. I find it quite funny the way I go about these things sometimes. Right now I'm thinking about the microphone and how microphones are usually used. I think mainly as a means of public address, is it not? You know, to get in touch with a large group, to broadcast something that you want to communicate and couldn't without the aid of a sound system. It's like a communication system, one step removed from oneself. Individual expressive traits are often lost in the process of transforming one's voice for a larger audience. Now, the way I'm thinking about using the microphone in this piece, oh shit no, on the contrary, goes something like this. The microphone will be used only at times when I'm involved in what I consider to be an internal dialogue. In other words, I'll be broadcasting, making, it, making accessible to a large number of people my own thought processes, fantasies, wishes, judgments, expectations, etc. In fact, I'll be opening myself right up and am open to judgment and attack. I am placing myself in a truly vulnerable situation, but a situation where in fact I am on what I consider to be equal terms with my audience. They are equally as vulnerable to my retaliations and attacks, my attempts at defense and self-justification as I am to theirs. However, I've got something over the audience. I am, in a sense, the nerve end of the situation. I am looking for response, but not a specific response, although I am in a better position to scheme, to provoke, and to anticipate than my audience. I might be a puppet to the situation at times, or I may play the role of dictator, but by no means do I govern the situation. The situation is one of cooperation. What is actually said, that is the words, will probably, be, probably take a lesser role than the feelings that evolve within the situation. And the audience, their role is somewhere between voyeur and participant. They may be abused, but they will always have an opportunity to state their case. Now, I should at this point give an indication of the setup, the actual space, how the situations have physically been structured. Below is a diagram in which I've divided the situation to areas which should correspond fairly accurately to the way the actual performance space will be set up. I will then attempt to talk about each area separately in relation to the concepts I have previously cited. Okay, I'll start. I'll start by talking about the area of white projected light. This will be an area of approximately 36 square feet, a square, and will be projected from somewhere near the audience. I should mention at this point that I will be dressed completely in black, close-fitting clothes, shirt, trousers, and shoes. Now, I mention this simply because of the effect this will have upon the image of myself as I move across the performance area in front of the lights. Now, speaking only of the white light projection, I am on the spot, literally on the spot. But I also become, in a funny sort of way, rather depersonalized and therefore protected. I become a silhouette, 
a black figure on a white ground. I may use this space as a place of refuge, a place to recuperate, or a place to scheme, a place where strategic decisions are made. Here is something I jotted down when I was thinking about myself standing in this situation. I am the projected image. I am projecting myself. You are the image I wish to become. I must convince myself that I am you and that you are receiving me, a process of rejection. And once I am you, I am lost. I am no longer me. The situation becomes we. It feels a bit funny attempting to isolate each area so. Obviously, each area can function only in relation to the other areas and the situation in general. But anyhow, I'll continue for what it's worth. I've already said a fair amount about the row of black and white photographs, what I call the psychological mutilations. Let's now consider the row as defining a boundary into which and out of which I may move. I must move in order to make my presence at all felt near the projected film. It's like a kind of transition period, a trial period I must undergo in my attempts at self-justification and acceptance. Now, as I've indicated in the diagram, this area will be bathed with soft footlights. So as well as defining fairly well a passage of the performance area, they will also have the effect of forming a distinct boundary between the audience and myself, and between myself and Linda. A fairly traditional device, is it not? I'd like to stress before I go any further with this essay that once the performance is underway, there are no rules. It's very tempting when writing something like this to try and justify or define every aspect of the piece. Whereas it often happens that a performance once underway takes on a character of its own and situations present themselves that could not possibly be predetermined. It is this very aspect of unpredictability and hence vulnerability that my work is centered upon. So although it may seem now that I'm trying to justify the existence of all the parts that the situation is comprised, I am merely attempting to put down in writing a few of the thought processes that have taken place and still are taking place concerned with the structuring of this piece. The piece has not been devised as a game to be played by performers and watched by an audience. As I mentioned before, it is a truly live and vital situation that I am attempting to work with. I will now go on to talk about Linda's role as performer, which I have only hinted at up until now. During the performance, there will be a taped monologue of Linda's voice running right through the performance, running under, running over, and running through my vocal and physical attempts at self-justification and acceptance by a group which is more sympathetic to Linda and, in a sense, themselves. As I mentioned earlier, a common fear of being manipulated might manifest itself among the audience, triggered off by the continuous images of physical mutilation and their identification with Linda, with the underdog, and so on. 
and writing that just now, my immediate impulse was to say to myself, shit, well, I'll go out there and gain the sympathy of the audience and turn the scales in favor of myself. But of course, this is a self-defeating kind of strategy. The idea, remember, is to strike the balance, to reach a state of mutual agreement. As Fritz Perls puts it, oneness and integration of the opposing forces. Now, back to the tape. Linda will be making this on her own. I will not hear it until the performance is underway, for reasons that are obvious. And as you might guess, the tape will be an attempt at transforming her position from an unfavorable one to a more favorable one, probably at my expense. Well, I asked for it, and I'm going to have to handle it. Once the performance is in progress, Linda will be seated with the tape deck behind the footlights and in between the film projection and the audience, as indicated in the diagram, and will have full license to edit on the spot as she thinks fit any parts according to the way I am behaving. Let me give a couple of examples. For instance, she may feel that I've been unfair in my attitude or actions and might then interject, stopping the machine and airing her disagreement to take me down a few pegs. On the other hand, the situation might be one where perhaps she herself doesn't, for whatever reason, wish some part of the tape to be revealed to the audience. If I perceive this, I might have an opportunity to turn such a situation to my advantage. The possibilities are indeed open and endless within such an interaction. Forgive me if I sound pretentious, but as a final statement I might suggest that the situations which I've attempted to describe within the boundaries of this essay relate not only to themselves, but might be comparable to a much larger social structure, namely yourself in relation to another interaction. It's the end of the first essay, and I'll just go straight on to the second. Self-preservation. Performed O Shitno on the contrary on the 14th October 1979, Thank fucking God that's in the past tense. An extremely embarrassing situation, but I guess that's the way the piece was structured in the first place. Okay, there's a lot of things went right and there's a lot went wrong. Or when I say went wrong, I really mean were unfavorable to the piece. There's another piece on the way to be performed within the fortnight which means I've really got to get my ass into gear and make a number of decisions regarding content, regarding manipulation, and regarding response. The performance space as well as venue are also to be changed. So first, I'll start talking about the space and my role in relation to that space. On the 14th, it was definitely uncomfortable for me. For one, the performance space, in my opinion, and feeling-wise was far too small in relation to the size of the venue. Too high a stud, concrete walls all around. It was cold, with this tiny piece of warmth for a performance space. And once again, far too few people for the size of the space seems to be a real problem of mine. An intimacy I was hoping for was lost, 
and yet there was a strong feeling of identification between the performers and the audience. This says more about the tone of the piece than the space it was performed in. But back to the setup. I felt stifled in the number of possible moves I could make within the situation for what I see as basically two reasons. Firstly, the actual performance space. I would have liked to have made far better use of image making with my own body, a kind of silhouette effect against the area of white projected light. Unfortunately, the area was too small. It was like I'd take one step backwards and I'd be out of the light and my image would be lost from the screen. So I couldn't even console myself with an image of myself that I was consciously trying to project. It's very hard to take advantage over a situation when the performance at times is highly demanding of physical activity and certainly constantly demanding of image projection in an attempt at self-preservation and self-justification. It was kind of like being trapped within a situation but it was a situation that, although being directed by myself, was somehow removed from myself. Or did I remove myself from the situation as there was no other way to handle the situation? I was in no position to receive the kind of energy that was being directed at me. I was restricted by both the physical situation and a continuous onslaught that, to tell the truth, there wasn't very much I could say. To project my image is also in a sense to protect it. The space did not allow enough protection and the taped onslaught was certainly not the medium whereby I could seek refuge. So what I'm thinking about the space is changing it in such a way that my activities, whatever they might be, will take place in an area of projected light that will be an area of approximately 7 feet high by 25 to 20 feet in length. Any movements, large or small, with regard to my changing of identity and projection of self will take place within the boundaries of this rectangle. On the two extremities of the projection area will be Super 8 loop tapes, one used in the previous performance, a physical mutilation of Linda's face. The other tape, yet to be made, will be of the other extreme of this emotion, a soft, sweet, caressing mood and yet once again will focus upon Linda as subject. This is already beginning to focus upon a kind of polarity thing that I will be swayed to and from between which I may choose to make my presence felt or noticeably absent from either at any particular time. Also provided at each end of the projected light but within the lighted area my arena will be a microphone. Now these are going to play a similar role to the mics used in the piece Get the Fuck Out, Got to Get Out, performed sometime last month. To be used as a means of focusing energy at and around two spaces within the performance area, as a means of giving position to my own stance within the situation. In other words, the identity I choose to take. Each microphone will take on a particular identity they will each become associated with a particular stance within the situation. That is, both the physical and psychological situation will, in cases, physically cross one another's paths. Space is being articulated as progress is made 
within the situation. Again, I shall make the point that I felt stifled and uncomfortable within the previous situation. Now, this was obviously intentional, but only to a degree. Perhaps it was my own fault for walking into such a situation effectively armed with nothing. Of course, this is an interesting situation in itself, but was not really to do with the intentions of the peace, which were based on a fluctuation of power, a fluctuation between the offensive and the defensive, remembering there are two parties involved, and that energies were to be exposed in the eventual hope of reaching some form of mutuality, a kind of balancing of energies. In the previous performance, I found myself in a completely defenseless position and found myself after a while not even trying. In fact, I was ignoring the situation. Again, this might provide material for pieces in the future, but it's not material I wish to work with on the piece, oh shit no, on the contrary. I was psychologically being mutilated without being able to gain enough entry to what was going on, collect myself, make an attempt at self-justification, or even self-preservation at another's, the aggressor's, expense. The, the attack was so one-sided, in fact, that after about half an hour or more, it eventually began to work in my favor. Ah, oh, come on, he can't be that bad, and on and on and on and on. Now, the circumstances I'm talking about have obviously required a certain amount of pre-planning. However, the unknown plays an important part, there being two performers, one in control of a pre-recorded tape, which I had not previously heard, and myself in a position where a direct and immediate response was demanded if the situation was to be moved in any direction. Vitality is the essence of any real conversation or interaction, and the same applies in this case. To sympathize with is to identify with, whether it be on the part of an audience or someone who overhears a private conversation, a voyeur, a critic, or a judge. So basically the faults, or should I say annoyances to the piece are, firstly, a too stifling performance space, incapable of housing the potential dynamics of the piece, and secondly, a too overbearing side to the conversation or interaction. So far, I've talked mainly about alterations to the physicality of the piece, the actual setup. I've also briefly mentioned a tape which I've called Defense, as opposed to the other film tape, Offense, which is the slapping. At this very moment, the, the defense film tape is being developed, and hopefully the results will be as anticipated. The film is essentially a close-up of Linda's and my own profiles, with our tongues slipping and moving around each other in a vaguely circular pattern, an intimate kind of union which requires a mutual willingness to continue. Of course, like the other, the film is to be made into a loop, and the willingness has been suspended into an ongoing agreement. It is a complement to the offense tape. Also in the making is another sound tape, which once again is made by Linda. This time, however, it is to be of an undeniably favorable tone, favorable to me, that is. Once again, 
the complement of the offense sound tape that was used in the previous performance. Both the offense and defense sound tapes are to be played in the next performance. Linda's role is to be is to move between the two tape decks, which will be separated by about 15 to 20 feet. The way she manipulates the opposing tones will depend upon two things. Firstly, the number of variations that can be made, depending on the number of functions the tape decks have available. For example, the volume, the speed, distortion. Secondly, her moves will depend upon my moves the way she accepts or rejects, likes or dislikes my stance in front of the other party, the audience, who themselves will be forming their own judgments and taking sides. Myself, I'll be going into the performance with a particular method of self-preservation, not like the last attempt where I found myself on the spot and completely vulnerable with no fixed line of defense or attack. My role will, as in get the fuck out, get, gotta get out, will center around two phrases which have many sides and ambiguities to them. Know me and know, which was also the title of the recent installation I have made. This installa installation was playing in a nearby room while we were performing Oh Shit No, and occasionally I could hear a pleading voice, know me, know me, know me, it was the only thing that really made any sense to me as I stood out there alone, shaking, faltering, wondering what on earth I would do next. The situation really is one of knowing or refusing to know, of pleading or accepting, of teasing or manipulating. As I have mentioned earlier, I will have two mics and each will be positioned near one of the projected films, offense and defense. They will have their own identity by the simple fact of where they are. And I also will be focusing upon this identity, changing and manipulating according to my desires. My desires will depend upon the way Linda is manipulating the tapes, winning or losing the audience, defending or attacking me. at which point the essay ends and we don't have an account of what happened after that second performance. But what we've got here are the two tapes, um, videotapes on either side of this wall and a headset where we have combined the two audio tapes. So it alternates between the positive and negative commentary that Linda recorded and she recorded that completely independently of Peter. And it's a tour de force of trying to think about ways in which you can say nice things about your partner and how you can say nasty things about them. And it's slightly unclear whether it is absolutely focused on their actual relationship or whether it's a combination of her thoughts on all of the relationships that she's had. She brings a lot to bear to that sound tape and it's quite a grueling listen, even though it does alternate between the positive and the negative. And then he talked about that line of photographs, the eight photographs, which are close-ups of his own face. We have small reproductions of those in the vitrine, so you can see what he was describing 
as well as photographs of the original performances. And you can see the screen that he's talking in front of, the microphone, the lineup of blown up photographs, and you can also see Linda at the tape deck. Um, so we've tried to encapsulate the two performances, combining them into one, um, and using the architecture of the gallery to create the necessary sense of division and opposition. And also by placing the monitors at this height to force us, the viewer, to connect in a way that draws us in and makes us that active component of the piece. We are literally in front of them looking at something that we perhaps don't want to see and having to deal with it. And that, I suppose, is the way in which we've tried to address all of the works in the exhibition by creating opportunities for audiences or visitors to actually uh, see what happened and then in uh, other occasions where I'm reading, I'll bring that live, thoughtful, responsive uh, words of the performers and audience members into the mix by uh, reading out loud. The next one I'm going to do is in relation to liaison, which is the seven images on that long wall and in relation to the film on the screen here. And I'll be reading the words of Winston Kerno, who attended the performance. You can actually see on the first image on the right, Linda and Peter in the doorway, and on the far left, there's just a cut-off figure, and that, in fact, is Winston. So I'll go and sit myself over there and read his raw account next time. Thank you.